Welcome to uh, another episode of the Novum Insightful. Uh, I'm here with Jay um, Kurahashi Sofu from Ava Labs to talk about um, the Avalanche ecosystem. It, it's been um, one of the fastest growing chains in, in, in blockchain this year, been growing its TVL significantly. And I, I think there's a lot of a lot of reasons why people are excited about Avalanche and really keen to dive in with Jay for this next episode of the Nova Insightful and um, unpick where the next trends are and what's happening. So Jay, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Toby. Excited to talk about what we're up to. What What, what is the sort of high level update on Avalanche? What, 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 what are you most excited by? Yeah. Um, so I think maybe what might help is before we get into that, I can give some of the historicals since Avalanche has only been around for yeah. about a year. Um, so Avalanche deployed on mainnet in September 2020. That's really when the network became live and, of course, then moved on towards how do we build out this ecosystem um, as in, in a robust manner and also make sure that any DeFi user or, or NFT user or kind of every everyone in Web3 has something that they could use um, and use well. And so we went, we as Avalaps, we went towards trying to figure out, okay, what makes sense to have first? Well, the primitives, I think, are kind of the base level um, components. Stable coins for liquidity, automated mar market makers for price discovery, same thing with decentralized exchanges. And then you also have a whole suite of decentralized finance apps that we were trying to get into the Avalanche ecosystem. And that was kind of the September to about, um, I guess, the new year, so January 2021's focus. One thing we soon found out was no one wants to be first to the party. And then that's where we saw a lot of Avalanche native applications start coming through into the, into the scene and deploying on mainnet. And there, these are just these scrappy, um, very driven, very uh, well-versed in the crypto space who wanted to just pick a chain that could scale on day one and not necessarily go with uh, the chains that had most market share. So kind of an early strategy, mostly to see if they could benefit from just being an early adopter effectively, right? And from January to about early summer this year, then you started to see a lot of these projects on blockchains or smart contract blockchains that exist who either wanted to go towards a multi-chain strategy or just couldn't deal with perhaps high gas fees is kind of the most common um, point of feedback that we get from these projects that poured over or just the slowness and, and kind of just like the, the lack of scalability effectively. And, and eventually you just started to see these, what we call like DeFi blue chips come over to Avalanche. So you had SushiSwap, uh, you had a few others in a similar vein, and that was leading up to this summer. And then finally, the summer we we thought came together and said, okay, I think there needs to be one more kind of catalyst or two more catalysts actually. One is interoperability from as a look from a liquidity perspective. So there's a, a product called the Avalanche Bridge that exists to tie together the Ethereum and Avalanche ecosystem. Very easy to use, um, at least from the crypto context. Um, and you just have to plug in your wallet, and it sends it to the same address, and you can transfer networks that way. Um, it goes both ways. And then the second piece is monetary incentives. At this stage, a lot of money is flowing into these ecosystems and there's there's a lot of yields going around. And so 
in order to entice users to to actually try out your product or try out the platform, you're going to need to give them a significant amount of incentives. So we announced this initiative called the Avalanche Rush Program. It, we announced it in August, and it was roughly valued at around 200 million US. And from there, the hype really drove it drove the Avalanche ecosystem to a whole new height without even any of these incentives deploying. It was just the announcement itself really kind of was driving excitement and people were really eager to find a new solution that could alleviate their, their current issues that they find in other blockchains. And today, actually, if you take the market value of Avalanche tokens, that, in it, that, that incentive program is roughly valued at around 600, 700 million. And so the incentive pool has now gotten bigger and, and now these incentives are starting to deploy. So today, or actually earlier this week, we had Ave and Curve switch over to, or uh, port over to Avalanche. They, they now are expanding their multi-chain strategy. Incentives are also baked in. And then I think to answer your question of what I'm most excited about, I'm really excited to see how this plays out. Where does Rush take the ecosystem? Total value locked on Avalanche is roughly around 6.4 or 6.5 billion um, uh, at the time I checked this morning. Yeah, and and that's growing really, really fast, right? Because, yes, uh, like you set up a year ago, so, so it's uh, um, pretty yeah. exciting. And and um, I think the quick thing to for to reference for the the people listening in is is the growth metrics. When the August announcement happened, TVL and Avalanche was roughly around two hundred million, so two hundred million to about six point five billion in roughly two months. That's kind of the growth trajectory we're seeing. Yeah, yeah. So, so well, well done on 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 that. And I, I think there's a bit of a a sort of yeah, there's a bit of a land grab at the moment going on in that way. Correct. So, so hitting hitting the point on on just supporting projects and and getting them to come over seems seems great. And and I think from a user perspective, like you say, like like the 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 gas fees are kind of crippling, right? And on mainnet Ethereum, and it makes complete sense for um, other chains to be to to be used, right? So, mm-hmm. um, um, so, so obviously, it'd be good to sort of get into a bit of the detail of like what makes Avalanche special and and why why you think people would want to choose Avalanche. Kind of thing. Yes, and the first. The first thing I always say, and most of the team and anyone that actually is able to use Avalanche and experience it would say too, is is transaction finality or settlement speeds. This happens in under one second. And so you can imagine if you use a slower blockchain platform or smart contracts platform, that's usually not the case. And the reason why that's able to happen is because of the consensus protocol underneath. So Avalanche innovates all the way at the ground level, at the consensus level. Doesn't create, doesn't use a consensus mechanism that pre-exists or doesn't use one that hasn't really proven itself to scale, uses one that actually is able to scale. And this is where, um, that's how, that's what enables the transaction settlement speeds. That's one. The second one is low cost. So gas fees, if you want to use the Avalanche network for payments, it's fraction of a cent for smart contract calls. They're few dollars, not even, I think it's even less, it's probably in the sense, but also could be a dollar. Um, it's a very low cost and that's all only continuing to improve. And then the last piece, mostly for the people that are into interested in understanding how the protocols are designed is there are a thousand validators that are all producing blocks on Avalanche. So 
in other other terms, it's really secure from a decentralization perspective because you have now a thousand validators, and that that number is still um, increasing as as we go on. And it's a proof of stake um, platform, and so validators who stake Avalanche tokens they earn about 11 percent APY on their tokens. Yeah, and I obviously sort of I think there's a lot said about sort of proof of stake and and sort of. I guess it it being more um, positive environmentally than than proof of work chains. Um, I think it it would be good to though dive into, I guess the the economic problem in in proof of stake that that some that essentially early adopters end up controlling more of the network. So how how do you see um, that sort of playing out? Because I think I think there's it sort of at some stage does it make sense to does the chain run into a problem of of onboarding people in a proof of stake system or or whatever because of yeah so I mean one I'm not necessarily the expert on the technical side but what I can say mm-hmm. is the state at which any blockchain doesn't it's not just specific to Avalanche the state at which it's at today doesn't necessarily mean that's what it's going to be in perpetuity. That's kind of an important thing that I always like to highlight in crypto, because a lot of times because of our, the tribal nature of crypto, it kind of is conducive to these conversations where it's like, oh, well, this is this is faulty now. So it's just faulty in general, which I don't think is necessarily the right way to look at it, because you can always improve, incrementally change the way these things are designed, test and iterate based on how the real world sees it. So with staking, for example, you could provide mechanisms that really combat that, for example, um, having a cap for how much stake you could actually put up, which then eliminates the whales problem that you're kind of highlighting. Um, I guess from a token holding perspective, that's a whole different issue. Um, but from a staking perspective, you could have those mechanisms in place. Um, you could also change the way the incentives work. So I know um, one of the most recent updates that we had, um, it effectively prioritized users with the, or the validators with the largest stake. The new upgrade called Snowman Plus Plus, which is which was um, rolled out, I think, a few weeks ago at this point, that doesn't allow for that to happen now. So you can kind of see how those are incrementally made by the team at Avalabs and some of the contributors that we have on Avalanche. In the future, too, Avalanche is looking to decentralize the, the network completely with governance. And so that's where we can also even let the token holders decide or the people who want to participate in the network to decide what exactly happens with the the mechanics of the protocol. Yeah, no, really, really, really interesting. Um, and then, I mean, there's obviously various different DEXs moving across um, at, from from mainnet Ethereum. You've also got your your native DEX, Pangolin, um, and I think uh, Zero was also using Avalanche. Like, how how's the sort of ecosystem? What's your view on? It sound, seems like you're looking for many different DEXs to thrive and more options for users to use Avalanche, right? So. Yes. So right now, I'm actually pulling it up. So we have the native applications, like I mentioned before, who want, who just were early and wanted to participate in the ecosystem because they believed in the long-term future. So you have some of those would be like the Pangolins, um, Trader Joe. They're both AMMs. Trader Joe goes a little bit farther by adding more DeFi primitives into their stack. Penguin Finance. Um, you have also like stablecoin projects and, and lending projects like Teddy Cash. 
And so that's that's kind of these are all native avalanche block uh, avalanche pro- projects. And then, like I mentioned before, you also have all these non-native projects now coming over to Avalanche, like Ave, um, Curve, and and Sushi Swap. I think are the big ones. And so I think what you're going to have is you're just going to have this more robust ecosystem that's that enjoys being on chain on av- the Avalanche chain because of the experience that enables them to give to their users. It's not a great experience for any of these projects to basically have bad UX, but only because they can't really control it because it's at the layer one protocol level, right? Like imagine if you have a really good AMM design or a really good lending protocol design, but for some reason it can't scale and the speeds are really slow just because of the settlement times underneath it. It's at the end of the day, the user doesn't care who's who's at fault here effectively. They're just going to treat that experience holistically and they're going to be like, oh, well, this application is not usable, right? So I think that's where we at Avalabs and I think the Avalanche ecosystem as well, we truly believe that the value props that we highlighted earlier are strong enough and, and actually superior to most, if not all, blockchains that exist to be able to entice people beyond the incentives. So once the incentives are kind of the hook, once you're here, you're kind of here to stay is kind of the idea. Yeah, yeah, which which makes sense, right? And if it's um and if it's a good area to operate in, um, why not use it, right? So so obviously the there's been a bit of news recently, I think, on a few hacks on Avalanche. Sort of is there any sort of take on that sort of issue or yeah, um I think hacks are always just gonna happen, especially as as the space moves really quickly and in an open open platform. You could have any project deploy. It doesn't matter if it's Avalanche or Ethereum or or Solana. You're just gonna have a situation where you have kind of these applications that might not have that might be actually malicious. That's one angle. Another one just might be where they just didn't do enough audits or the proper audits, or or even with many audits, you still might have. Um, some faulty code that gets overlooked. And that's simply the nature of, of the space that we're in. And so what we are trying to do at Avalabs is really trying to create a safer space with those components as consideration. And so how are we doing that? One is to figure out if we could cultivate the growth of some of these third-party um, third-party entities that could effectively help consumers understand what's good and what's not. And so we have a project, I believe it's called Rug Doctor, I think, um, or, or something along the lines. They are essentially an early version of a ratings agency that takes every single aspect of the protocol and puts a letter grade to it based on what they feel are the risks. And if they're, they're bigger risks, obviously, then it, it decreases in value. And I tend to find that that's also another useful resource. At the end of the day, even though you have those resources, though, some people just don't know about it. So I think it's our collective effort that needs to kind of kick in to say, hey, we need to be publicizing these things as a resource, kind of like how the early days of, of coin market cap and the, the early days of Etherscan started. People didn't really know they existed, but once people are like, hey, by the way, you could actually just check out all of the coin mar- the, the cryptocurrency market cap capitalizations on this website, people started to use it over and over and over. And that growth obviously has taken off over time. Same thing with uh, blockchain explorers and how they're used. So I really do think th- that type of um, kind of community-focused ratings is one angle. Another one is just if we have projects and we see them and, and they're early-stage projects, we just have to, as a community, really, really 
uh, hit home to just do all the audits that you need to be doing. Make sure that you're not rushing these systems. Don't necessarily try and do the test in production methodology. I, I don't really have a stance on either, but I, if I were to choose, I'd probably say test before you you put into production, and then um, so you don't have to pay the price after the fact. So yeah, I think the the, the hacks that you were talking about, I, I know one was just a, I think one was like an exploit on one of the. I think it was an Oracle exploit or something like that. Um, and it, it's unfortunate that happens, but I guess it's if, when you're early, that's kind of the risk that's associated with it. Right. And, and are you seeing many sort of people doing NFTs on Avalanche and that kind of thing or, or sort of more, more exotic things? Yeah. NFTs are getting bigger on Avalanche. Um, I say I would say what's interesting about our experience so far is a lot of the big brands are the ones that started to come and speak with us um, to see if they can deploy their marketplaces. So Tops, NFTs, that was something that they deployed. They did Bundesliga NFTs, Major League Baseball NFTs. Hmm. They just announced Godzilla, the, franch- the kind of media franchises, NFTs as well. Um, that's kind of one angle of it. And they're, they're definitely taking it, taking it from a more like, uh, I guess, um, siloed and, and, and they want to create their collectibles in their environment. And that's one, ang- that, that's one approach to it. You're also seeing on the other side, you have more of the web three NFTs. So you kind of have these early versions of open seas that you're seeing, um, where there's secondary marketplaces. So all of these new NFT projects can, can actually have a place for, for those assets to trade. Um, and then I think the last thing that's have has really existed since the beginning of of the DAP um, growth efforts that I mentioned earlier in this podcast were some of these new projects that were effectively doing NFT drops. Um, that was kind of one approach. And then they've since then have incrementally innovated on that model with either reflector tokens where you have royalty payments for the original minter, or you might have um, dynamic NFTs. Um, those are some of the projects that we're seeing now. And, and hopefully moving forward, the stuff that I'm more excited about are, are some of the more complex uh, complex NFT projects, like the gaming ones, the, the platforms that have a lot of transactions within its function. And so it actually requires a platform like Avalanches in order to, for it to work in general. And, and I think that's, that's um, a, a decent angle that um, it seems to be trending towards. Very cool. Very cool. And and just overall, where, where do you think the sort of crypto space is heading? I mean, you're in explosive growth for Avalanche, but what, what, what sort of trends do you think are going to impact people and, and what, what's important to you? Yeah, I think there's, I mean, maybe hedging on the statement, but there's, there's a few angles that might be interesting. One is um, the narrative of environmentally friendly tech is is definitely creeping mostly from the mainstream audience looking in, it seems, especially with Bitcoin um, kind of being the kind of counter counteract to that narrative. So I think what might happen, especially as we continue to move forward, people are going to care more about environmentally friendly approaches. We can't just have these pr- proof of work enabled machines to be running all over the world. Not to say that that's necessarily, I, my take isn't saying that that's a bad impact. It just I think it can be improved is all is all my take is usually on these things. And, and if you can minimize your impact on this planet, that is favorable for every, anybody. And that also will enable better um, progress towards mainstream adoption, I would say. I think the other angles are some of the, the niche industries that you're seeing, like the DeFi sector, 
the NFT sector from a collectibles perspective, the NFT sector from the gaming perspective, social tokens, all these things that were were actually have been around for for a few years now as a concept and as a technology really hasn't taken off until about the last two years, two or three years. And I think maybe it's because the, the token sale and ICO era really scared off a lot of people. There was a lot of people that got hurt by by the kind of volatility there. And then now you're seeing a little bit more confidence. I think institutions are also kind of growing into gaining that confidence as well. And so I think that's another angle. And then the last sector um, or category that I really am interested on is the stuff that doesn't really exist today. Um, stuff that we've been talking about for a long time to be a perfect solution for this blockchain technology or cryptocurrencies, but we haven't been able to implement quite yet. So maybe some of the um, like grant lifecycle management uh, for for using NFTs, for example, maybe that's one angle. Uh, legal documentation, streamlining enterprises um, in in a scalable and in a scalable way where everyone can communicate with each other, but also not have to um, reveal their inner workings of their of their databases effectively. And, and maybe like another idea that I tend to talk about a lot is like there's a project called Sablier on Ethereum and they are their, their goal is to create real-time payments of your paycheck or your invoices. Um, so imagine if either one of us were working our, our day-to-day jobs and we didn't get salaried salary payments on a bi-monthly basis or a weekly, weekly basis, but instead we just got them as it came in in real time. Of course, that can't exist on a chain that can't scale. So that's why I don't think it's really been able to to catch the the attention of the of the kind of majority in crypto. But I think with with the future that we're progressing towards, it's going to definitely be that way in my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a continuous income stream um, through through crypto, um, which I think would be very attractive for people, right? Because exactly, sort of, uh, it's just but, useful. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and also the the yeah. I mean, it's a it's a common project a problem for people, right? Living living month to month, and uh, it would be yeah. You can see it being very positive um, social impact in that way. Um, the yeah, no, re- really interesting. Um, and and dialing back to to the, I guess the environmental point. I guess the the when, when um, given all the activity there is on Ethereum and, and Bitcoin at the moment, um, I guess the crypto is slightly in the crosshairs of people going, look, like, how can you be using so much of the data center? Um, and it's it's a really interesting area. I don't know, sort of, I guess the... Like you say, that there's other reasons for for proof of work and the like to exist. But the um, how do you see that whole landscape evolving? Presumably, like the POS chains are going to gain significant market share, right? Yeah, I think in the category we're um, assuming, assuming crypto continues to trend as it has been trending, then I think people are going to start using the solutions that are trying to compete with the incumbents. I think that's just what's going to happen. Maybe not something like Bitcoin because they have the benefit of first mover advantage that might solidify them in that spot for a, a pretty pretty long time, in my opinion. Um, but could be with like, let's pick Ethereum, for example. 
I actually had a conversation with a friend recently and she was like, no one ever told me that in order to actually use DeFi and Ethereum, you basically have to put a significant amount of balance on. Otherwise, you're just going to eat up your PL with with gas fees. And I was like, yeah, that's mm. not a great first interaction. So I think people are going to start perpetuating that narrative a little bit more just with word of mouth and even just the kind of the um, just the chatter online, I would say. And then what might happen, especially if liquidity is good, is then you're going to be like, oh, well, you might have people that just come into crypto and go straight into Avalanche or go straight into Solana and just s- totally skip over the traditional, I, I would call it the traditional path where you kind of touch Bitcoin first. And then once you're comfortable with Bitcoin, then you look and you go, oh, well, smart contracts are interesting. Maybe if I'm keen on smart contracts, you go to Ethereum. And then after that, you start pouring down into altcoins. I think you might just have a leapfrogging effect, perhaps. And that might start playing out at the longer Ethereum um, holds off their 2.0 deployment. I think that'll continue to be the same for the L1s. And so I think it's really the time to shine for these L1s and really prove their worth to people. The minute an L1 no longer can keep up to their promise of, of scalability, that's when I think the trust starts dying down. Um, or maybe safety as well, insecurity. So I think, um, I don't actually know the stats offhand, but I remember when the Binance Smart Chain, they had a ton of hacks going on. The press was just picking it up as a chain that had all these hacks. And of course, as I outlined before, it's not really the chain's fault because the chain is just an open and permissionless platform. But also it's kind of the duty of early adopters to really kind of self-police or try to at least to help each other out so then you don't have this issue where people are afraid to to use that platform because of the the risks that are involved yeah nice really 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 interesting and and i i 100 agree it's like almost a culture that you need to form right yeah uh, the community yep well jay thank you so much and i think it's been um fascinating interview i don't know if you've got sort of um any closing thoughts but maybe if people are just interested in learning about avalanche the, the website's avax.network might be in the show notes too but if, if anyone has any questions feel free to ask always happy to chat 